what happens when a black guy, a white dude, and an Hispanic man happen to be pro wrestling marks? You get debates, roasting, and fun in Jeet Nation's newest podcast, Breaking Ring Rust. And it starts right now. Bravo, Romeo, Echo, Alpha, Kilo, India, November, Golf. Ah, it's just too long. This is breaking ring rust. I can't can't do all that. I am your host, Rocket Mr. Magic, joined by as always by my illustrious tag team partner, J Tizzle Tizzle JT. And as we are completing, I think this time, our series on Lex Luger, our illustrious returning multiple guest, Matt Privet, MP. Welcome back. What's up, man? Good to good to be back. How you doing? Glad to have you. Doing well. This fine. Oh, this JT is flashing his KO Kevin Owens American flag shirt. Um, I can only assume what pride in Kevin Owens you have. Um, Also, must mean all my Alexa Bliss shirts are in the wash. That or your wife is burning them as we speak. She's gonna show you some. I was also wearing because little Matt's a big Kevin Owens fan. She's also she's gonna show you a new five feet of fury, unless she's cackling, burning them shirts. Well, well, actually, she's the exact same size as Alexa Bliss. I I don't even want to hear about any accidental Alexa callings in the evening time. You know, we'll save that for your 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 blue chew exploits. So when last we left uh, Luger, uh, WCW had folded. And when Lex uh, left WCW, he was sitting pretty with a Time Warner guaranteed contract, which was guaranteed to pay him for two more years. So he did not have a WCW contract, per se. He had a contract with Time Warner, which meant regardless of what happened to WCW, he was going to get paid by Time Warner. Um, so his contract did not get bought out by WCW. He did not accept a buyout. He was going to get paid still. So what he decides to do is he's going to train really hard for two years and then come back to wrestling. Um, so when we left, we talked about how he had begun a maybe not so covert affair with Ms. Elizabeth. Um, and the boys in the back know, but his wife uh, is a little clueless about it, as it were. And we know Lex is living in a mansion on a golf course at the time. Uh, by the way, I want to say hey to Rayan and to Big Travis, who uh, just started listening to our podcast. Thank you, Ray and Big Travis. Yes. <clears throat> so, uh, we... Uh, so, at the time, uh, Luger is making a ton of money. He says at one point he looks at his checking account and sees there's three quarters of a million dollars in there, just checking the ATM one day. And he says, you know, so he's got money. He's going to continue to be making money. So, he says he's going to be spending money. He's telling crazy tales. 
like how he uh, goes to a jewelry store one day and he has him keep it open for him after closing. And in 30 minutes, he spends $50,000. On what? Jewelry. For him? Yeah. And he looks over and he sees there's one other person that they've kept the store open for. And it's another Atlanta celebrity, Usher. Uh, Mike, should I be afraid of where this story is going? No, it's just saying that he happens to me. He and Usher um, have the store kept open for themselves, and they're just both in there shopping. Sounds like they got it bad. Wordplay, applause. So uh, he's also trying to keep things going with Liz, but now that they don't have the excuse of working together, he's finding it difficult to meet with her. And she shows up at his gym some, uh, but he doesn't really like that, and then he kind of becomes more accepting of it, and they're having a hard time meeting. So his son, Brian, starts playing school, playing basketball at a school across town. So, so what they decide is, well, it's hard with the traffic and everything to get across town. Atlanta is a very uh, traffic-heavy city, if you've ever been there. Indeed. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, and Matt and I have taken many road trips down there. Uh, and it is a very traffic-heavy city. So what he and his wife decide is, well, Lex is going to live in an apartment during the weekdays with Brian on the other side of town so that Brian can be there and be close to school, get school on time, and study. And then they'll come home on the weekends. So Lex uses this as a meeting place for Liz during the day. And he becomes very nonchalant with this. At one point, his son comes home early from school, doesn't have practice that day, and he hides Liz in the guest room closet. Until, R. Kelly style. Yeah. Until his son, he says to his son, let's go out and get something to eat, and let's sneak out while they're, um, while they're going out. Um. He's training, he's doing all this other stuff, he's having the affair with Liz, eventually his son stops going to school there, and now he doesn't have a way to meet with Liz. So he does something really, in my book, dastardly. He commissions a townhouse to be built across town now, near the gym and near Liz's place. So he now has a place to meet with Liz. And he has this, I think it's a quarter of a million dollar home built. Uh, so that he now has a place to meet with Liz. And everything's going well until the final papers get faxed over to his house. Ah. And his wife finds the document. And she wonders why this house is being built that she doesn't know about. Right. Uh, Matt, do you have anything to add to this? Because I know you've read the book, too. Um, I'm... Some of these details I haven't really thought about in quite a while. It just goes to show you, uh, for for all I have liked of Luger in the ring, he was a pretty crappy person at this point in his life. Um, and uh, also not very smart. So Lexington's wife um, basically throws him out of this movie. And he... Uh, you know, makes an excuse for why he's living there, um, and he moves into this town hall, and basically, 
unofficially moves Liz in. Um, you know, he'll have his kids come and visit, and she kind of goes back to her place, but otherwise, she's just pretty much staying there. And they have this kind of routine of, you know, going about their day, doing their workouts, doing whatever business that they're doing at the time, eating, doing drugs, drinking, um, and kind of living their own life separate from Lex's family, even though Lex is still married. Right. And there's no official acknowledgement of the affair. Then things are going to kind of come to public view. In April of 2003, there's going to be an incident where Liz is going to be seen with some black eyes. And Lex is going to be there, and there's going to be suspected domestic abuse. Okay. Now, there's going to be no word on this um, for a while. Okay. No official word. Um, Lex is never going to face any charges for this. Um, and there's never really going to be any talk about this. Um, <clears throat> years later, in a shoot interview and in his book, Lex will talk about how he had a big dog. Um, I think it was actually his son's dog. And Liz had a dog. Um, one was a German Shepherd. I think maybe one was a Husky. I may be wrong on those details. Um, but she took him for a walk by herself. He says they got the leashes wrapped around her legs. Liz isn't a big woman. And she fell and scraped up her hands and hit her face. And when the police came, that, but they see the 285-pound muscle-bound guy and just assume she's covering for him and arrest him. That's what it sounds like. But Lex's story has always been that she heard herself walking the dog. And she got black eyes from walking the dogs. Right, from falling, walking the dogs. So, now I never heard that story until the shoot interview came out, um, which came out in around, I think, 2005, 2004, maybe. Um, but it was a year or two after the incident happened. However... Um, that the that that made a lot of press at the time. Then, uh, and that was big press for a couple weeks in the wrestling world. However, that was quickly overshadowed about two weeks later on May first when they get another call to leave her home. When uh, Lex calls for paramedics because Liz is unresponsive. And um, <clears throat> they call the paramedics. They, uh, they take her to out in an ambulance, and uh, she dies in the hospital. And they find that she had uh, overdose on a combination of alcohol and painkillers. And so... Um, Luger says he has a complete breakdown. So they won't let him back in his house, and he basically has a complete breakdown, like, sitting in his front yard. Um, you know, his girlfriend's just died. 
police are searching his house. They're, you know, this woman's just died, so they, they're saying they don't know what cause of death was. They obviously haven't done an autopsy yet. And but he's he's considering that he may be a suspect after they just showed up recently because of suspected abuse. Right. So the police are being really nice to him, though. Um, they take him to jail for not to jail, but like to the police station for questioning. Just hey, what happened? Tell us what's going on. He's there overnight talking to him. He's crying, that type of stuff. He's getting ready to go home, and then they stop him and say, "Hey, is there something in your house that shouldn't be there?" And he says, "You know, nothing I can think of." And and they say, are you sure about that? You know, you want to come clean with us on anything? He says, well, no, there's nothing I can think of. And he says, I've got, you know, testosterone and human growth hormone, but I have a doctor's prescription for that. Um, because he, he says in his book that around, I want to say 2000, he had stopped taking steroids, maybe a little bit earlier than that, he had stopped taking steroids because he found out about HGH and legal testosterone and he found a doctor to give that to him. What he says he had forgotten about was he had gotten a a supply of steroids before and had put them in a gym bag. And then uh, his wife had sent over his stuff from his house when he moved out. He never went mm. to it. And in, like, a guest bedroom, there was an old gym bag that had steroids in it. And the, and the police found that. And so they charged him on felony counts of drunk eviction. So, within, you know, a day, his girlfriend dies, and now he's facing drug possession counts. He gets a lawyer, he's released on $27,500 bond, and he's facing um, 14 counts, 13 of which are felonies. Um, now, they find... Uh, Xanax, steroids, Oxycontin, testosterone, and growth hormone, some of which he has uh, prescriptions for. Um, but those are all the things that were found in his home. <clears throat> and he is going to reach a, a, a plea deal and get probation, but he is going to spend a little bit of time in jail. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to kind of be what he thinks is going to be his bottom. But he's it's really going to kind of be uh, not really, because he's still going to be doing a lot of drugs, doing a lot of drinking, doing a lot of moving around. Um, he's not going to go back to his house. He's going to move around from friends. He's going to live in hotels, um, particularly in one hotel, because uh, he's going to have to do community service. Now, in his book, Let's Act Like He Never Wrestles Again. Uh, which isn't correct. I, I, I don't know why he acts like he never stepped in the ring again after WCW, except for a couple of things. Okay? The only thing he mentions about wrestling is a WWE tour, and this did happen before Elizabeth's death, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but I know a lot of people want to get into this. He, he wrestled in World Wrestling All-Stars, okay? which was a short-lived promotion. Uh, Sting got him booked on this tour. They had mm -hmm. recently lost their champion. Scott Steiner was their champion, and he signed with WWF. 
so he vacated the title. Um, Luger says he's in the best shape of his life, and he goes over there uh, on in, in actually November of 2002. And when he gets over there, he finds that he has an immunity. And when he gets over there, he, uh, some people said Luger was difficult to work with on the tour. Some people said he was sick. Now, if he had a pneumonia, he probably couldn't do much. People said he didn't want to work long matches. If he had pneumonia, I doubt he couldn't work a long match on the tour. Probably combination of both difficult and sick. But he, um, in the first match of the tour, he is going to uh, team up with Sting, and they're going to beat Buff Bagwell and Malice, who was known as The Wall. Yeah. That's a heck of a tag team there. Yeah. The Buff Wall. Yeah. Then, uh, then, then on December 5th, uh, Sting and Nathan Jones, talk about a great tag team, uh, they're going to be uh, totally buff. Then the next night, in about a five-minute match, Luger's going to beat Sting for the vacant uh, World Wrestling All-Stars title. And then Luger and Sting are going to team back up to beat Jeff Jarrett and Buff Bagwell. Oh, that's even better tag team there. Yeah, and then the final night, which is December 13th, there's going to be a three-way match with Sting, Luger, and Malice, and Sting's going to win the title. Um, so I'm sure that was a classic. Yeah. Oh, that was Malice's best match, obviously. Yeah, I was about to ask, what's your favorite wall match? Yes. Yeah. So, but Luger acts like that was the only wrestling he did. But Luger actually, you know, after all this, after all the, after Elizabeth's death, after all these arrests and everything happens, he actually has some interaction in TNA. Um, so in November 12th of 2003, uh, he's going to actually team up with Jeff Jarrett and they're going to wrestle Sting and AJ Styles in a losing effort. They're going to be managed by Don Callis. Uh, and then uh, in February of 2004, he's going to interfere in a match between Abyss and AJ Styles and help Abyss beat AJ Styles. Um, now, I always wondered why he never had a lasting relationship with TNA because they certainly could have used the star power. But I have to wonder if it was maybe because of his probation and he had to get permission every time he left the state. And I forget whether they were in Tennessee or Florida at the time, but either way, he would have had to leave Georgia. So maybe they were worried that he couldn't leave the state maybe when they would need him. That makes sense. Luger would have easily been the biggest star they had at the time because, I mean, other than that, they had... Because Sting wasn't consistently with them, and other than that, they had Jeff Jarrett. I don't think anyone's really going to argue that Jarrett's a bigger star than Luke. Uh, Jerry Jarrett would. Well, you know, uh, arguably, you, you, what what year is this? Two thousand six, two thousand four, two thousand four. Okay, arguably, you could have said that Jarrett was a bigger star than Luger at this point. Arguably. Yeah. 
they have both been WCW World Heavyweight Champion, you know. Jared always been in Carter. The Stroke. Jared Slap was nuts. all over. Yeah, I mean, Jared was all over WCW for the last year or so that they were around. So people yeah. would have remembered him. Being WCW champion when Jarrett was champion is like being the nicest guy in prison. What does it matter? Well, I'm just saying for people who are actually watching this at the time, they might have recognized Jarrett more than Luger. Maybe. I don't know. But Luger's going to do some other things in 2004. So uh, just, to, just to touch base on things Luger did. Uh, Otherwise, okay, so uh, in Southern Wrestling Alliance in August 2004, he's going to defeat his old buddy Buff Bagwell, get revenge for that Starcade match. So many Buff Bagwell matches. Uh, he's going to drop a match to Rick Steiner in NWA Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling in October 2004. Um, in NWA Cyberspace Wrestling, he's going to defeat. Uh, Danny Jacks. And then he's going to brawl with Ron Killings. Just think well, we missed on, out on Luger and R Truth. Is this a good time for a dance break? No. There's never a good time for any of those dance breaks. Okay. And I happen to love I happen to love dancing, but I don't want those dance breaks. Um, and then in November of 2004, just what you asked for, more about Bagwell. Luger's going to team with Bagwell, and they're going to defeat Disco Inferno and Johnny Swinger. Oh, yeah. Five-star matches right there. So then Luger's going to get arrested again in January of 2005. Uh, he's going to get a DUI. They're going to find him uh, slumped over the steering wheel of this car. He's going to be passed out. They're going to ask him, they're going to wake him up, and he's going to try to drive away. Um, and then they're going to call for more police and stop him. He's going to get charged with expired tags, altered tags, no proof of insurance, and an open alcohol container. He's going to plead guilty to steroid possessions um, as well. Um, and he's going to be sentenced to uh, five years probation and a $1,000 fine. So this is going to actually all stem together um, with all of his uh, initial uh, charges. <clears throat> then he's going to do some more wrestling. And uh, so he's going to, in February of 2005... Eight days after his plea, he's going to team with NWO Sting to uh, beat George South and McNasty. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I don't know I, how to react I, to that. Yeah. I don't know what to make of any of this. <laughs> <laughs> George South and McNasty. Well, how about the reference to NWO Sting there? How did how did no? I'm sorry, NWO Sting. You know he's had a credible career, especially in Japan. I'm just trying to figure out how George South and McNasty didn't get over more. I mean, come on. And uh, yeah, George South was probably the most talented person in the ring that night. Yeah, well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But um, 
I'm just wondering if McNasty is like the less popular brother of McLovin. That's probably his uncle. Okay. Um, was that movie out around this time? It probably was. Uh, that was probably a take on that. And then, uh, and then uh, about a week later, in Exodus Wrestling, Luger's going to defeat Tracy Smothers. All right. Tracy Smothers. All right. And then, and don't don't, and don't Luger, hate on Tracy Smothers now. No, I'm just kind of surprised to hear Tracy be brought up after all this. And then in proof that Luger needed money, um, or work or something on October 8th, 2005 in Action Wrestling Entertainment. Um, Shane Madison is going to defeat Lex Luger. I've never even heard of Shane Madison. I don't think anyone else has either. Now we have educated the world on Shane Madison. Okay. So, and, and by educating him, you mean we, we, none of us know who he is. Well, that's probably more than anybody else did. And uh, if they bother to Google, I'm sure Google doesn't know who he is either. Mm -hmm. So then we're going to get to another juicy part of Luger's uh, career. Uh, Or or lack thereof. So in December 2005, Luger is going to be booked with Bagwell and Scott Steiner in Canada. And... They're going to be on a plane. Uh, they're going to be in Minnesota and in Minneapolis, actually, about to fly out of the country. When some air marshals are going to come on the plane. And they're going to surround them. And they're going to uh, escort Luger off the plane. Actually, and then they're going to... Uh, I mean, they're going to have like six marshals. They're going to get Luger off the plane. They're going to put him in a van. They're going to drive the van off the tarmac. They're going to hold him in airport security. Um, Luger's going to find out that the reason they took such an effort was because it was time for them to practice their terrorism drills. So they decide to use him as a guinea pig. <laughs> now you. <laughs> okay. Now you know when those air marshals arrived, there were so many of them. The first thing in anybody's head is, oh, Steiner, what did you do now? Right. But now, now there's varying reports on this. Some people say that it was Luger and Bagwell that were taken off the plane. Some people say all three of them. Luger says it was just him. I've also heard that they um, cuffed Luger's hands and feet and like passed him down, like carried him off the plane, like over their heads. Yeah, they ain't carrying that man off no plane. <laughs> I mean, there's there's all kinds of stories about this. Um, it's kind of become urban legend at this point. But uh, so Luger's held without bail. Um, he's held for a month in Hennepin County Jail in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for a month, and then he's extradited back to Georgia because what Luger did was he forgot to check in with his parole officer. And then he forgot to tell his parole officer that he was not only leaving the state, but planning on leaving the country. So, small, small little detail. Nothing big. Once again, so, very smart. Yeah. So he's going to go back to, to uh, Georgia, and he's going to be sent up to face a judge, and he's going to think that he's going to get a slap in the wrist and be home in time for Christmas. But he's going to get sentenced to four months in jail. 
And so he, no home for the holidays. He's going to spend four months in, uh, in county jail back in Georgia. And he is, uh, you know, not Cobb County either. Big Boss Man's not going to be looking out for him. And so, Darn it. So he is, thank you, Matt. Um, and he is going to, um, going to do hard time. Yes, he is going to do hard times. And he is, but he's going to have an important encounter while he's there. Uh, you know, it, it's worth noting that he said prior to this, he had laid off drugs. Um, he had been not doing drugs. I think he was still doing steroids, but he wasn't drinking and he wasn't doing like painkillers and drugs of recreation, things like that. Um, he was trying to live a clean life. Um, and he says, you know, so much for living a clean life. I'm, you know, see what it gets for me. So he's stuck in jail. And while he's there, this guy comes up to his cell and hands him something. And he just takes it and throws it on the floor. Um, and somebody tells him, well, that's Pastor Steve. And if you talk to him, you get time out of your cell. And he uh, realizes that what he, the guy gave him and he threw on the floor was like a little Bible. And was it Grandma's pocket New Testament? Something like that. Maybe a Gideon Bible, something like that. Doesn't really go into details about that. Um. So he's going to um, kind of be polite to this guy, but make it clear he doesn't. But he, he's you know very clear the whole time he doesn't want any crazy religion or anything like that. Uh, but eventually he agrees to go for a walk with this guy. Um, and to his surprise, the guy never talks to him about religion. Uh, the guy gives him uh, some packets of peanut butter, which he appreciates because that's extra protein that he can't get elsewhere. Um, and every time the guy sees him, he gives him peanut butter. Um, they start to develop a friendship. Uh, and he uh, just, you know, kind of starts to respect him, but he doesn't, you know, still doesn't want any religion. He's worried the guy's going to start preaching to him. Anyone got anything to add to this part? Keep going. Um, not really. Just it, it setting up what would later later come for him so the whole time he's there you know he, he forms this friendship uh, you know Pastor Steve basically says hey you know here's my number give me a call when you get out let's hang out sometime get some food or something and he you know says oh okay yeah and then basically ditches his number and then he gets out um, then he runs into him one day when he gets, or when he gets out, he says, you know, when he gets out, he takes some pills, drinks some spiked Arnold Palmer, and he's kind of back to the races, as they say. 
but he runs into Pastor Steve. What is Pastor spiked? Steve. I'm sorry. I'm. What is spiked Honor Palmer? Honor Palmer with like vodka in it. What is Honor Honor Palmer has a drink? Yeah. Lemonade and iced tea. Have to. Oh, have okay. Tea. Okay. And so he's. It's nasty. Don't drink it. <laughs> I don't plan to. It probably tastes like golf course. And so, uh, he, um, yeah, it made me nauseous just thinking about it. So he, um, he says, uh, he runs into Pastor Steve, and Pastor Steve asked him if he'll uh, start training it to work out. And he says, yeah, I don't drive. Um, pick me up at my hotel, and I'll, I'll work out. And he says, you know, he figures he won't show up, but the next day he shows up, and he ends up waiting 30 minutes before he answers the door, figuring he'll leave. And he does so he figures, well, I'll work him out until I kill him. But he never quits. And he works him out every day. And begrudgingly starts to respect him more. And Pastor Steve starts to take him out to places he's never been before, like Golden Corral. <laughs> and he realizes that that place can feed him the type of food he needs to eat to maintain his body. Because <laughs> <laughs> go to Corral is the epitome of health and protein food. <laughs> he needs the chocolate fountain. He needs the chocolate yeah, fountain. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, apparently Luger just has a body that doesn't get fat. So. Well, he sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, you, as you can tell, the three of us have that same type of body. None of us gain weight. Oh, um, yeah. Perfectly. Like, I'm a lean mean something or other. Yeah. So we so uh he he also says that Steve takes him to Walmart for the first time in his life. Oh he's just slumming, isn't he? Yeah. Golden Corral, Walmart. Yeah, he's Luger, discovering a whole new world. Yeah, Luger at this point in time is like forty eight years old and has never been to Walmart before. Um, but he says at one point in time on one of these trips, he steals a, a track out of, a witnessing track out of, uh, Steve's car and start and takes it home and he starts reading it and it kind of gets to him, but he doesn't understand it. and he wants to ask him about it. But he, but he stole it. Yeah. But he doesn't know how to talk to him about it. And he's kind of embarrassed to ask him about it. But he reads it and reads it, but he still doesn't understand it. So one day Steve says, hey, I go to this church sometimes on Sunday nights. There's a really good pastor there. Why don't you come with me? He says, oh, I've been waiting on this, you know. But at the same time, he, you know, even though he kind of in his mind, like, oh, I, I knew this was eventually coming. He wants this. So 
he gets the address. By now he's driving and Steve's helping him get his license back and all this other stuff. He drives to the church on a Sunday night. He, you know, he says he's basically having like a panic attack about going in. He goes to the door, goes back to his car, finally goes in, sits down, and the pastor is preaching the parable of the man who built his house on the sand versus the man who built his house on the rock. Okay. And Luger has never heard this before. And he uh, starts listening to this and he's really drawn to the part about the man who built his house on sand. And he thinks about how he had everything he thought he wanted. The nice cars, the mansion, the women, the, the money, the fame. And he realized it was all sand. And he realizes he's that man. And then he begins to suspect that his friend Steve told this pastor that he was coming and had this pastor <laughs> preach this sermon specifically for him. <laughs> we, we all have those ends with the pastor. Yo, pastor, preach on this tonight. So he is almost panicked by this. And, and when church is over, he leaves and Steve hadn't shown up that night, by the way. So he thinks it's a setup. So eventually he gets a hold of Steve, and Steve says, yeah, somebody called me last minute, and I had to help someone out. I couldn't get there. He says, did you tell that guy I was coming? He says, no, of course not. So Steve comes over to his place, and they sit on the couch and talk, and Lex talks about in his book how he had this dream like almost a year to the day before about how he was this dream that he was drowning he had gone to bed very high that night he's dreaming that he's drowning he and he's he he literally feels like he's drowning and he's at the bottom of this water and he looks up and he sees this light he's reaching for the light and he feels like he believes that he was dying that night that he had overdosed that night and that he made a choice to live and he was searching for the life. And that, you know, he believes in his heart of hearts. He died or was close to dying that night. He made a choice to live. And there was a light out there. He was searching for that life. And now here a year later, he's found that light. And so he says to Steve, he says, you know, sitting on the same couch where he had passed out and it had this kind of experience awakening whatever you want to call it revelation you know he talks to steve and he says you know hey this is what happened in this church and i took this track from your car and i don't understand it but it's bothering me and, you know they that steve explains it all to him and then they get down on their knees and they pray the sinner's prayer at that same couch wow and says at that point he begins to change you know and he starts reading the bible and even though he doesn't necessarily understand all of it, but he you know steve's telling him read the gospels you know read read this come here go there you know do these things don't you know and Luther says even without consciously think about it, people start saying hey you don't curse you don't 
you're not as angry, you don't lie, you know, you're more helpful, you're, you're a nicer person, you know, when he'd be in the gym, he was always known for being rude, or, or, or having a, a don't come around presence, now he's helpful, and things start to go on, and then he's even able to, to make amends and, and repair his relationship with Sting, and say, hey Sting, what you had that changed your life now has changed my life. And it's, uh, you know, just a huge change in his life at that time. And so he's, you know, he's still got a lot to repair, but he's going to keep going on. Um, and so he's going to uh, keep going uh, and just kind of start uh, just wanting to go on with this. And finally, uh, He's just going to be like, I don't, I don't know what else to do, and I just wish kind of things were different. And Pastor Steve's going to say, why don't you move in with me? And so he's going to move in with this pastor and then watch him. And he's going to see this guy have a daily devotion first thing in the morning. He's going to start doing that. And he's going to start doing, mirroring things that he does and start doing more things. And... Until he eventually becomes more, he feels like he can be on his own two feet, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he's going to start, uh, you know, going out uh, and making appearances with um, people. Uh, like he's going to appear uh, later that year with Sting. Um, he's going to appear uh, with some other people. Um, and then in, in his life's going to start going really good. He's going to still continue to work out. He's going to say, I don't need drugs. I don't need steroids to do things that I need to do. And things are going to start looking really well for Alex. Um, until October 2007. And Lex is going to get on a, he's going to get booked for a fan fest in San Francisco. And he's going to fly from uh, Atlanta to San Francisco. And he's going to suffer what they call a spinal stroke. Uh, and it's going to be a, like a, basically a nerve impingement. It's going to, uh, where the blood's going to get cut off, down to spunky, below his neck. Ooh. And uh, the way he explains it is that he's on this plane. He had just done a really hard, like, neck and shoulders workout, back workout. Um, and he sits down the plane. His back is pumped. Um, his neck's really pumped. And he starts talking to this college girl sitting next to him. And he turns his head for two hours. And it ends up cutting off the blood. And he felt like a sharp, searing pain. He didn't know what it was. Um, he goes to his hotel and goes to bed. When he wakes up the next morning, he can't move. And he tries to move, and he falls out of bed. And his body won't move, and he can't respond, and he's laying there. For, he doesn't know how long until he hears somebody try to shove something in his door, and he's able to cry out for help. It's someone from the fan fest, and they're able to get the paramedics to break the door open, and he goes to the hospital. Wow. And this literal Adonis of a guy now has no use of his body. 
it's worth noting, you know, one of the things that, that certainly has been covered over the course of these episodes, and I know that Luger talks about it in his book, the narcissist gimmick is the closest thing in real life to his personality. Um, he was, uh, he, 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 he basically worshiped his body image and that comes across not only on television when you watch him over the course of so many years, but it really comes across in his book as he talks about how, you know, he liked working out so much and, his body just meaning so much to him. So, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian. So I'm going to come at this from, from that point of view. It's almost as if he, he has come to the, to the Lord and, and believes in, in, in Christ. And now it's as if God is saying, okay, you believe, now I'm going to take away the thing that you loved the most before me. And that's what happened. Um, he had his biggest idol taken away uh, in the course of one plane ride. And it really is something to consider. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And, you know, depending how you want to look at it, maybe ironic's not the word for it, but the one thing that Luger was most known for, the thing he prized most, is the one thing he lost. You know, I mean, if you think about Lex Luger, and you look at it, you know, no one had a body like Luger. You know, there, there's no one in wrestling that had a better physique than that guy. And as far as proportion, maybe somebody had bigger arms, somebody had bigger this, that, or the other, but no one had a better proportion right. physique than that guy. And he... You know, and he, you know, constantly just, you know, was the epitome of that. And that's the thing he lost. And now not only is, is the body going to atrophy, he can't walk. He can't move. He can't do anything. And now he's in a hospital 3,000 miles from home. And he is pretty much helpless, you know. And so he is, uh, you know, he, he's kind of burned bridges with family at this point, you know, but, you know, people reach out to him and, and they say, you know, uh, you need to get into a rehab center. We can only do so much for you here. You need to get into a rehab center. One of the best rehab centers happened to be in Atlanta. And they're able to get him a bed in like a day or so, which is amazing because usually there's a huge wait list. Yeah, that's super fast. And they have to get like two rows to be a plane seats to be able to fly in there. Um, and they uh, get him flown out there and have to, you know, ambulance him to the airport, ambulance him. To the rehab center and which is the shepherd center by the way in atlanta and he's there for a long time and he says he manages to stay positive for most of the time because of his faith in god and he says you know he breaks down 
at one point, but it, you know, at for all the time he's there and for everything he wants, he only has doubt a morning, and then does his devotion and then kind of regains his his hope. Um, you know, and he um, because you know he says you know it says people are going like look at you know you. There are like people here who look up to you. There's people who, you know, can't do make the strides that you've already made. Um, and so he actually, uh, at one point, is actually able to leave the Shepherd Center. He gets an apartment across the street. Um, he is Pastor Steve's sister, um, offers to move in and be his nurse for a year and help take care of him. Um, and it's a very humbling experience because now he's got someone that has to take care of him, you know. Um, and it's, uh, you know, to be a grown man has to be taken care of when he's like 50, and you got to have somebody take care of you, um, you know, pretty much. Very, very humbling experience. Yeah, pretty much feed you, change you, bathe you, that type of thing. And, but he continues to get better. He goes to, um, daily over to Shepherd Center for physical therapy um, and he's able to start walking short distances he's got a little motor car he uses um, eventually he's able to start driving again um, and eventually as the years progress he even drives from Atlanta Concord North Carolina to see his old buddy Nikki Koloff which is a story he shares in this book uh, and he uh, continues to uh, do, uh, you know, to this day, he's gotten involved with uh, WB with their wellness policy. He's gotten, he does a lot of uh, Christian outreach ministries. Um, he has an online um, resource where he kind of helps people with wellness and nutrition he originally envisioned this is this big money-making plan now it's something he does kind of to help people um just to show kind of how he changed over the years uh one of the things that you kind of hear in wrestling uh you know it used to be that you'd hear the two biggest jerks in wrestling were Shawn michaels and lex luger and now you hear kind of the two nicest guys in wrestling are Shawn michaels and lex luger the two guys who had the biggest change uh, so it's nice to hear that, you know, the those guys have had that type of change. And, and you hear it especially with Lex, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Like, um, uh, there was one episode of Something to Wrestle With where they did uh, one of those, you know, ask, any, ask Bruce anything. And one person asked about specifically promoters who who get born again and how Bruce felt about that. And they mentioned how, uh, and Bruce mentioned how some of these people would say it, but you know, there was no life change. There right. was nothing discernible. That. But when he talks about Lex Luger, he's like, like, you know, him and Conrad both described like Bruce, you know, he's like you know, Lex Luger. He's like the light, like that guy is amazing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, if someone like you know like what Pritchard is, you know, on his you know personal beliefs, and he can clearly see the change, that is a, an awesome turnaround for for Lex's life. Sean's too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 
for a guy who burned as many bridges as Lex did to have so many people who are just like, oh man, I want Lex around all the time, and if he can't be around, they're bummed that he can't, you know, participate and stuff like that, you know. And there have been a lot of people who have been so-called, you know, converts and stuff like that, and people don't get around, and I think that says something. Indeed. So, you know, Lex is, you know, when we started talking about this, uh, you know, like six episodes ago, uh, before we started doing this series, when I first said, hey, Lex would be interesting, you know, this guy's got it all, you know, interesting pre-wrestling history, interesting wrestling career, and then the kind of salacious details of his life. But to me, the redemption story is even better than that because... Most definitely. He, he turned it around, got clean, cleaned up his life, um, really making strides, trying to make things better. Um, you know, uh, maybe he was a fake American hero at one point, but he's kind of a real-life hero now. Well, there have been a lot of fake American heroes, and there have been a lot of fake people who claimed about a turnaround with God, uh, claimed, claimed to turn around their life thanks to God. Um, I've seen plenty of that in my life, and you don't have to be a someone who even calls yourself a Christian to understand that's the case. But to constantly hear as a wrestling fan who's also a Christian – so many people, um, not necessarily praise Lex Luger, but just talk about the genuineness of his turnaround. Uh, speaks to how how powerful it has been for him. Um, I believe his Twitter handle now is Genuine Lex Luger, and for the past few years. I guess that's what we're getting. That's what we're, what what his fans are finally getting, um, and not just his fans, but people who are, are discovering him for the first time. And I hope that if you're listening to this, and maybe you're younger than me, I'm 42 years old, and you didn't grow up on the. Thanks for reminding so me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. If you are listening to this and maybe you didn't grow up on the glory years of Lex Luger, um, just to compare him then to, to now, it, physically, there's no comparison. But also to compare him then to now as a man, it would appear there's no comparison as well. And um, that's a good thing for him. And for, for someone who grew up with Lex Luger, not 87 to 92 being my favorite wrestler in the world. Um, I'm very thankful that today he's a different man than he was then. Well said. Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree with that statement. Yeah. So, 
I don't know what to add to that. I don't think there's anything to add to that. I think that was perfectly said, and I think that was a perfect way to wrap up our dive. All right. In what may have been the shortest episode of the <laughs> Well, with that, uh, with that said, and I agree this is uh, a great way to, to end this part on Luger, let's uh, take a transition to uh, briefly talk about one recent thing within the next 10, 15 minutes, roughly, um, with WrestleMania. Give us uh, over the weekend. We had a lot of wrestling over the weekend. Uh, TakeOver NXT, uh, TakeOver New York. You have the G1 Supercard and WrestleMania all go down this weekend. Give me one match from this weekend that really stuck out to you over any one of those three shows. Roman and McIntyre. That was match of the year. That was fantastic. <laughs> Beer by the big dog. That was a thing of beauty. That was ah, you, you didn't see that coming? It stunned me. I couldn't believe Roman. I was so happy. <laughs> I, I, I sense a little bit of uh, sarcasm there. Yeah, there was a um, lot of sarcasm there. Nah, no, there's no sarcasm there. That's that's all. That's all genuine, right there. No. no for me, uh, match of the weekend was uh, Garganical. That's. That's a tough one. That match was. Uh, I'm a little first round. First match at first fall was a little sloppy, but they made up for it the next two falls. Plus, I'm yeah. a big mark for both guys. Yeah, well, me too. Especially, I'm a big, big mark for Cole. Um, I was a little. I was hoping Cole was going to go over. Uh, I think it's his time to show that he can. Uh, he can carry a major belt. Uh, but the match definitely did not disappoint. Um, neither they told the great story. Uh, it was well, it was phenomenal. Yeah, you know, and and we all know uh, Ciampa would probably still be champ if he wasn't hurt. Um, but it was it was a fantastic match. Um, well, being that you, being that you picked that one, I'm going to go. Uh, man, let's see. Because G one had some good, some good matches too. But I'm going to go also with Takeover uh, with uh, with Dream and Riddle. Uh, I thought it went a little too long. I thought they could have saved some stuff for uh, for a rematch, but they they came to perform. Uh, you know, and watching one thing, I just kind of recently, like I noticed it before, but never like really realized I noticed it. But um, Dream wrestles like a wrestler, like like a classic old school. Like he, every, what everyone else nowadays are doing, you know, missile drop kicks and you know, you know, d you know, doing the topes and from different angles. He's going to the top rope and he's dropping double axe handles like it's 1980, like. He wrestles like an old school pro wrestler, but he's got you know this great body, he's a great athleticism. You know, he can do the high flying stuff, but he makes a purpose to wrestle like a wrestler, which I think is really cool. 
um, of of Dream. Um, like I said, he, I thought him and Riddle could have saved some of their really cool spots for a, a title rematch, but uh, another really fantastic, well-done match. Well, there's only one pick, personally, that that, that I can pick. It, it, Kofi versus Daniel Bryan is the match that I, I have to pick. Um, let me just talk about both of these guys for a second. Um I, I've never been the biggest Kofi Kingston fan. That is to say, I've never been raw, raw Kofi. I've never been raw, raw New Day, but I've always respected the guy. I've always thought he had a lot of talent. And to see that payoff uh, was very good, was very satisfying to me. Um, he was by far, I think, the most over person on the show at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. Um by far, I think, and it was the exact right result. It was decisive, and I don't know how long they'll put keep the belt on him. Um, I don't, you know, not, he doesn't necessarily have to hold it forever. But that was a great, a great moment. And and I will just say this also: Daniel Bryan may be the most talented guy in the ring and out of the ring, there there can't be five people I've seen in my life as a wrestling fan who have more talent as both a face and a heel. Um, he is today, five years ago, he was the best baby face in the world. Today, he's the best heel in the world. And I don't see that changing anytime soon as long as he can stay healthy. I was, I thought he just did a wonderful job. From start to finish. Just to add on that, my friend Rand pointed out that he was 100% right that, you know, the way Brian put him over was the way that, that Flair would put over baby faces in the 80s and make them look like a million bucks. Absolutely. It was like the way Flair put over Steamboat and made him look like a million bucks. And um, it, was, it was classic, old school. Uh, you know, putting someone over and making them look like a star, and it was, and that that's a lot of credit to Daniel Bryan. Um, and I am a New Day fan, and Big Matt's seen me wear New Day shirts and even a unicorn horn to work, so he knows that. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, that was it was great payoff, and it was kind of tough to pick between those two matches, so. Um, but yeah, Daniel Bryan did a great job with that. It's always tough for me to pick between him and AJ as far as who's the best worker in the business today. I, I give a slight edge to AJ, but it's tough for me to pick between those two. So it's kind of like picking, picking between those two now is kind of like picking between Flair and Sean back in the day. Yeah, I love AJ too. I th- you know I think he's just as good. I just don't think there's anybody better right now than Bryan. Oh, and, and I forgot Roman. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, to, to pile on here, um, anyone knows me, I, I am not a fan of Daniel Bryan. Um, I've just never liked the guy, uh, but I've always been amazed through Ring of Honor, uh, you know, to to now that he's he is fantastic. He's in ring, on the microphone, character wise. Like you said, Matt, he. He's gotten super, super over as a face. He's gotten super over as a heel. Um, 
you know, I've I've never seen a match that he's in that I was disappointed in. Uh, I actually, he actually got me to, because I knew how good he was in the ring to watch matches with him and people I wouldn't watch wrestle. Um, CM Punk, for example, I, who I just tried to turn off every time he would be on the screen. Uh, I, he, he's something, he's something special. Uh, you know, the way they booked him, they booked him in ways where I would be upset because I didn't want him to go over, but I can't be mad at him going over because he is he is really that special. Yeah. All right. Last thing. We haven't done this in a while, and, and Little Matt's never participated in this. Dream matches. Hey, how did you do- see? You've been reading my notes. Stop reading my notes. So, um, what we do here, Matt, is Give us a dream match, uh, a wrestler or a tag team, uh, you know, who who faces who and who goes over. All right. Can somebody else go first and give me a second to think? <laughs> and it can be anyone from any era from facing anyone else from any era. So it doesn't have to be like current people or past. It can be a current person versus past person. Okay. So mine, and I thought of this one today, which is why I brought this up. I want to see Seth Rollins of today. Versus CM Punk in his prime, and uh, I would put it over Seth Rollins. I can live with that. Okay, um, I think I've got mine. Okay, cool. Uh, It's got to be the Rock and Roll Express from 1986 against the Revival from 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 two years. Okay. Um, uh, well, I was tempted to go with the Midnight Express, but the Midnight Express was always better heel than face, even though I loved them both ways. Um, I, I would have to put over the Rock and Roll Express with a a classic underdog finish where Dash and Dawson don't see the hot tag to Ricky who gets the rolling reversal for the one, two, three, something like that. Um, but man, uh, those two in their prime, those two teams, I could watch that every day, all day. Forget their prime. Did you see the video of, of Morton over the weekend? I did. I did. How was he hitting freaking Canadian destroyers at like 60 some years old? I think he's 61 now. <laughs> Just let the record show that it, Ricky Morton is one of the top 20 wrestlers, tag team or not, in the ring, period, all time. Don't sleep, don't sleep on Robert Gibson. Jim Cornette joins me in the opinion that Robert Gibson's actually a better worker than Ricky Morton. Ricky just got off flash. Well, I'm not discounting Gibson at all, but, um, I mean, yeah, you listen to old Flair podcasts, and he said as much. Ricky Morton, there's very few you could say are better than than he, him ever in the ring. He knew how to do it; still does. Yeah, that's the thing. He's still he's still getting it done at his age. Well, I'm gonna go with a uh, an aerial match. Um, so I, I I love the high flyers. Give I'm gonna take 
someone who's a, a mid car guy, but I just really, really enjoyed watching him work in Two Cold Scorpio. And I want to see Scorpio. And actually, you know what? No, he wouldn't scrap that because it's Mania weekend. I want to see my dream match would be Cole uh, and Michaels because Cole, because they're so similar. Um, it kind of would be like, uh, you know, Jedi Master and Padawan going at it. I swear, Cole is, is Michael's illegitimate son. He looks just like him. You, you wouldn't be hard pressed to start a rumor on the room on the dirt sheets and get a whole lot of people to believe that. I mean, they look just alike and they wrestle just alike, so. I wonder if I could pitch that to Vince and get some money out of it. Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> he doesn't do yeah, too I mean, well with he doesn't do too well with child angles. No. And because he would probably have somehow have Stephanie be the mom and <laughs> <laughs> You know, Hunter, I didn't want to tell you this, but your good buddy Sean Michaels. She impregnated impregnated my daughter. my daughter Stephanie and they had a child and his name is Adam Call that's how the promo would be and then the crowd would be like what it'll be dead silence they wouldn't know how to react or even worse Linda could be the mother then horn, then Hornswoggle would come out just to be like, but I thought I was a child. Yeah, see that, that? Yeah, no more, no more child angles for Vince. That's just. But I'm sure they'll do another one once uh, since uh, Dominic uh, Mysterious Kid is, is is training and supposedly looking really good. They'll probably call him at NXT and work some uh, some ridiculous parentage angle there. As long as they're doing the PG uh, era, probably not. But uh, we still don't need to give them any ideas. But is there any PG era? I mean, we heard, I mean, uh, apparently, you know, John Cena, I heard John Cena, I didn't see him, but I heard him on the microphone talking about his movies, and um, he he even threw some some four-letter words that uh, you really only heard outside unless you were watching ECW. Well, well, I think that was on pay per view in the network. Still, I, though, yeah. Well, and he didn't. He didn't come out and say that. He just kind of. No, he said it. I had to, I had to double take. I was like, "Whoa, wow, okay." Um, I thought we were still in a PG era here. Well, we are. I, I like how the only way that John Cena can get a pop now is to go back to a gimmick he did. 16 years ago. Which was a trash gimmick to begin with. He, he's, he's walking gimmick gentrification in that thing. Mm-hmm. You didn't like him as, as Marky Mark? No, I did not like him as Marky Mark. Feel, um, feel. Marky Mark was a better rapper than John Cena. No. Yeah. He had a, hey, he had a hit. John Cena has zero hits. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch have a hit people still like. 
John Cena dropped an album with bumpy freaking knuckles. Don't forget that, okay? But, but it was trash. Cena, hey, at least John Cena acknowledges he was a rapper. Marky Mark tries to act like he's too good for that now. Yeah, he's from Boston. You know those guys. They, I mean, I, you know, his brother acknowledges he was a new kid on the block. I mean, I mean it would be interesting to see how many people recognize My Time Is Now versus Good Vibrations today, actually. Having it played on WWE television for so many years, you know that that is a that's a good idea for a future video, just to go out in the streets and have people listen to the two songs and see if they can pick out the artist. Yep. So you think you're untouchable? But or, you know, uh, I think uh, William Shatner, uh, he uh, he he did that a couple years ago and. In his uh, wonderful cadence, he sang the the lyrics to John Cena's song. I don't think he can top that. Speaking of William Shatner, I went to karaoke once and I did a Celine Dion chant song as William Shatner. I'm sure you tore the house down. And I actually got a good reaction because people got what I was doing. I did that. that um, if you touch me like this and if you hold me like that. Oh gosh! And you're going to the movies all the time. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> and if you touch me like this, and if you pull me like that, it's all coming back to me. It's all coming back to me, and I don't want it to. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> and on that note, I think we just killed the podcast. Oh no! We—that's—that's that's the way you punctuate the ending of a show. So, all right. Well, I'll see everybody in like a month or so. Yes, JT uh, will be out for an extended period of time. So, please send your if you're if you pray, please pray. JT will be going through uh, some neck surgery and any flowers or you know anything that would annoy him, you can feel free to send as well. I like uh, flowers. Well, yeah, that's for the people who want to be nice. The people that don't want to be nice and the annoying things, you know. But so he will uh, he will be out. I'm going to try to convince Matt to sub here for uh, a couple times. And, I have some uh, good ideas for, for topics for you guys, covering wrestling albums, going through the Hall of Fame and seeing who's worthy and who's not. So see, you say they're covering the wrestling album because you don't want to get into it with me. On the wrestling albums. That's no, I, I, no, I said you guys should cover Slam Brant Jam and Powder. That would be funny to hear you guys talk about. And hearing you guys debate the whole thing, that would be entertaining for me while I'm recovering. <laughs> oh, I, I don't even, I can, I can barely talk about the, you know, the basketball Hall of Fame. It, it'll be like the real world. It'll be like when, because you guys have been like all nice and stuff. And then when you guys start debating the Hall of Fame, it'll be like the real world. People stop being polite and start getting real. <laughs> Well, you know, I the Hall of Fame to me just is, is dumb. I, it's just it's, it's the whole thing is dumb. It's Vince's. Hey, I feel like putting this person in my imaginary Hall of Fame. Like, there's no actual Hall of Fame. Like, there's no building. You can't visit it. It's just in his mind. It doesn't even really exist. Maybe that's what they should do with Titan Tower. Yeah, it's all in his mind. I don't think they're going to get a lot of people traveling to Stamford, Connecticut for anything. I'm just saying they're, they're moving out of Titan Tower, so, I mean, they can always just turn it into the whole thing. 
That's a really, really, really big hall. Well, they've got a really, really lot of people in it now. They don't have that many people. We're going to give The Rock and Austin entire floors? Why not? I think I think what they're doing well. Maybe we'll save it for the for an episode <laughs> if we end up doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for everyone listening, I'm going to finish the shield rendition I try to do for the opening. So I think I stopped at uh, breaking. So uh, Romeo India November Golf Romeo Umbrella Sierra Tango. This has been breaking ring rust with your host. Rockin' Mr. Magic, my tag team partner, JT, and our illustrious guest, MP Matt Privet. We hope you enjoy this five-part series on Flexi Lexi Luger, the total package. Follow us on Facebook at Jig Nation. Follow us on Twitter at Jig Nation. You can subscribe to Breaking Ring Rust and the original Jig Podcast on virtually any podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, CastBox. And if you have Stitcher, and if you happen to use a platform that we're not on, hit us up, let me know, and we will endeavor to be on that platform. But until next time, get yourself over, Marks. Peace. I can't contribute to any REM conversations because I only found out that it was REM um, like three years ago. Did you think it was REM? I did think it was REM. <laughs>